Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. What has happened is we have allowed the secularists, the humanists, the atheists, the infidels to pervert our Constitution into something our founding fathers never intended. And it is time for Americans to stand up and say, enough, we're not going to allow this in our Christian country anymore. It is time to put an end to this. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Today's America is but a faint shadow of what our founding fathers fought to establish. Every day, rogue judges are twisting biblical standards, while liberal politicians work to muzzle Christians on social media. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress shows how far we've strayed from America's spiritual heritage. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. On the weekend that we celebrate our nation's independence, I can't think of a better subject to address than the Christian heritage that is ours to enjoy. You see, no matter what the pundits say, America was founded as a Christian nation. And in a moment, I'll give you ample evidence to validate our Christian heritage. But first, I'm compelled to remind you that at midnight, we'll be closing the books on the $500,000 matching challenge. From the first day of June until now, the doors have been opened wide to receive your generous gift with a commitment to match whatever amount you give dollar for dollar. Please don't delay in getting in touch with Pathway to Victory. The quickest way to give your special gift is to go online to ptv.org. Or at the end of the program, we'll give you our phone number and mailing address as well. In addition, I've written a brand new children's book for you and your family. It's designed to help you fulfill one of your biggest duties as a parent or grandparent. In my book, Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids, which is fully illustrated with colorful pictures, I share 10 interactive Bible lessons that are rooted in the parables of Jesus. Again, my book is called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. Please, while there's still time, be sure to take advantage of giving a gift during the matching challenge. And let me say thank you by sending you a copy of Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. More details later, but right now I'm eager to equip you with the factual history about America's Christian heritage. I've titled my message, America is a Christian Nation. Now today, in the minutes that we have, I want to do three things. First of all, I want us to look at the historical evidence for the Christian founding of our country. Secondly, I want us to look at our detour from that Christian foundation of our nation. And then finally, we're going to look at the consequences of renouncing our Christian foundation as a country. First of all, let's look at the historical evidence. What is the evidence this nation was founded as a Christian nation? Well, first of all, let's look at the spiritual beliefs of our founders. 52 of the 55 men who attended the Constitutional Convention were Orthodox Christians. Some years ago, two professors from the University of Houston, Charles Lineman and Donald Luntz, did a study to try to determine whom our founding fathers quoted the most. More than a third of all the founding fathers' quotes 
came directly from the Bible. And it's that historical fact that caused Ken Woodward writing in Newsweek magazine in an article, How the Bible Made America, to come to this conclusion. He said, quote, now historians are discovering that the Bible, even perhaps more than the Constitution, is our founding document. That is Newsweek magazine. It's not Christianity Today, it's Newsweek magazine. Our founding document is the Bible. That is what the history says. Never did the founders believe the so-called establishment clause would be used to absolutely silence prayers at graduations or Ten Commandment displays in the courthouses or nativity displays in the town square. That was never the intent of the founding fathers. You say, well, that kind of makes sense, but how do you know that for sure? Not only listen to the, uh, the writings and the words of our founding fathers, look at the early court rulings. These court rulings not only show that the nation was founded on a Christian foundation, but in many cases, government was encouraged to support the Christian faith. For example, consider the case of Runkel versus Weinmiller in 1799. Now, Remember, 1799 is seven years after the ratification of the First Amendment and the no establishment of a religion clause. In 1799, the Supreme Court of Maryland said in its decision, quote, by our form of government, the Christian religion is the established religion. The next case, Vidal versus Gerard's executors, 1844. Now, this was a complicated case, but here's the gist of it. A man died in Philadelphia, a very wealthy man, and in his will, he left his proceeds to the starting of a school for orphans. They used to call those colleges back then, a school for orphans. But he had one stipulation. That is, no Christian minister could teach in his school that he was funding. And the Supreme Court actually ended up upholding this man's will. Why did they uphold it? Because they said the fact that you can't have a minister teach doesn't keep Christianity from being taught in the schools. And this was what they said, quote, why may not the Bible and especially the New Testament without note or comment be read and taught as a divine revelation in the college? It's general precepts expounded, it's evidences explained, and it's glorious principles of morality inculcated. And likewise, the court had something to say about those who would say, well, then you've got to treat all religions the same. They said, it is unnecessary for us, however, to consider what the legal effect of such a device in Pennsylvania for the establishment of a school or college, for the propagation of Judaism or deism or any other form of infidelity. Such a case is not to be presumed to exist in a Christian country. Not only do you have to look to the court rulings and the utterances of the fathers, but look at something else that is so fascinating. Did you know for the first 150 years uh, of the founding of America and even after the ratification of the Constitution, for 150 years, there was a school book that was used in grade schools for children. It was called the New England Primer. It contained prayers, creeds, even Bible verses that children had to memorize. Can you imagine children having to learn that today in schools? 
Today, they're not even allowed to acknowledge there is a God or there's even a designer who created the world in which we live. But 150 years ago, this is what children were learning. You say, what happened, pastor? How do you account for the seismic shift away from our nation's Christian foundation? Well, it all began in 1947. That is the first time that the United States Supreme Court ever used the phrase, the separation of church and state. And that's an amazing thing when you think about it. If this was such a foundational doctrine of our country, why did the Supreme Court never mention it for 150 years? It wasn't until 1947, the case of Everson versus the Board of Education. This was a case in which the state of New Jersey was using tax dollars to support religious schools. Back then, the only religious schools were Catholic schools. And the justice who delivered the majority opinion was Justice Hugo Black. And he said, this breaches the separation of church and state, which is high and impregnable. Now, many researchers of recent days have pointed out that Hugo Black, the justice who delivered this decision, had also been a member of the Ku Klux Klan. And the only people the Ku Klux Klan hated more than blacks were Catholics. In fact, two recent members of the Supreme Court, the late Justice Anton Scalia and Justice Clarence Thomas, agreed that this was a bigoted ruling. In fact, Clarence Thomas said, this doctrine, the separation of church and state, born in bigotry, should be buried. That was the first stone in this wall that is being built by secularists. The second stone was Engel versus Vitale, 1962. In that case, the court ruled that students could no longer voluntarily offer this 22-word prayer. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon thee, and we beg thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. Have you ever read anything more offensive than that? We pray for our teachers, our country, our parents. But the Supreme Court said children can no longer voluntarily say that prayer. Why? Because it breached the constitutional wall of separation between church and state. And the court went on to say a union of government and religion tends to destroy government and degrade religion. Now, that sounds so enlightened and intellectual to us today, but compare that to what John Quincy Adams said, the highest glory of the American Revolution was that it connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government and the precepts of Christianity. You know, ironically, even though these school children can't say that 22-word prayer every day, Every session, the United States Congress begins its session in prayer. And yet, in 1970, the Supreme Court said that it was unconstitutional for a group of students before school to gather together on school ground and read the prayer printed in the congressional record of the United States. Is that not lunacy? That's where we're going as a country. A third case, Abington School District versus Shemp, 1963. This is the case that outlawed students voluntarily reading 10 verses of scripture at the beginning of each school day. 
They brought in experts to say why that was not a good thing. One expert actually said, if portions of the New Testament were read without exclamation, they could be psychologically harmful to the children. Now, again, compare that to what the Supreme Court had said in 1844. Why may not the Bible, especially the New Testament, be read and taught as divine revelation in the schools, its general precepts expounded, its evidences explained, and its glorious principles of morality inculcated? Then the next stone, 1967, Spain versus DeKalb County Community School District. In that case, the Supreme Court allowed a lower court ruling saying that a kindergarten teacher could no longer have her students recite, not a prayer, but this poem. And here's the poem. We thank you for the flowers so sweet. We thank you for the food we eat. We thank you for the birds that sing. We thank you for everything. The Supreme Court said you can no longer have children say that because even though the poem doesn't mention God, it could cause the children to think about God and that's unconstitutional. The final stone came in 1980. Interestingly, the case is Stone versus Graham. And the situation here was Copies of the Ten Commandments had been donated to schools in Kentucky and were posted in hallways. Nothing else was on the display except the Ten Commandments. No teaching of it, no recitation of it. It was just purchased with private funds and posted in the hallways of Kentucky schools. And in 1980, the Supreme Court said, you can no longer post these words, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not murder. You can't post it any longer. And what was their reasoning? I quote directly from Stone versus Graham. Quote, if the posted copies of the Ten Commandments are to have any effect at all, it will be to induce the school children to read, meditate upon, perhaps to venerate and obey the commandments. However desirable this might be as a matter of private devotional it is not permissible as a state objective under the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. Can you believe that? We can't post these words any longer. Because if we do, the children might read them. They might venerate and respect them. And if they respect the words, heaven forbid, they might actually obey the words. And that is unconstitutional. What lunacy! We have let the inmates out to run the asylum here. That's exactly what is going on. Compare that to what, for example, John Adams said. Our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is totally incapable of governing any other kind of people. Or think about, again, 1844, the Supreme Court. Why may not the Bible, especially the New Testament, be read and taught as divine revelation and its glorious principles of morality inculcated? Now, here's the question. What has changed? What has changed? In these 150 years, has the Constitution changed and nobody told us? Is that what happened? Of course not. What has happened is we have allowed the secularists, the humanists, the atheists, the infidels to pervert our Constitution into something our founding fathers never intended. And it is time for Americans to stand up and say, enough. We're not going to allow this in our Christian country anymore. 
It is time to put an end to this. Now, I'm almost through, but I'm not quite through. (laughs) This morning, I got up early and I was flipping through my telephone, different articles, and I read a column about me. (laughs) And this liberal writer made an amazing concession. He made an amazing concession. He said, you know, the truth is, Jeffress probably has a point to make. Looking at the early writings of the fathers, the early court rulings, he has a case to make that America was founded with a bias toward Christianity. But I would remind Jeffress that the founding fathers and even the Constitution at times also embraced slavery. But that didn't make it right. By the way, that shows you how perverted and twisted the liberal mind is to equate obedience to God with slavery. But he said, just because the early founders subscribed to this proposition that America is a Christian nation doesn't make it right. Well, fair enough. Let's look finally at the consequences. What has happened in our country since we have loosed ourselves from our Christian foundation and become a secular nation? Is our country better off today that we have found this freedom from God? Is it? Let's look at the evidence. William Bennett, the former Secretary of Education under Ronald Reagan, back in the early 90s, issued what he called the Index of Leading Cultural Indicators. He studied the trends for 30 years between 1960 and 1990, the years that correspond with the judiciary's all-out assault on Christianity in our country. What happened during that period of time? There was a 419% increase in illegitimate births, a quadrupling in divorce rates, a more than 200% increase in the teenage suicide rate, a drop of almost 80 points in SAT scores, and a 560% increase in violent crimes. And today, the trend continues. Over 10 million teenagers in the U.S. drink alcohol regularly. 20% of those engage in binge drinking. Nearly 2,800 children die each year as a result of gun violence. And another 14,300 are injured. Nearly one million babies were murdered in the womb last year, and one in four women in the U.S. will have aborted at least one of their children by age 45. In 2011, over a half a million teenagers became pregnant, with about 30% of those pregnancies ending in abortion. Are these tragedies just a coincidence? Not when you consider God's warning to his people 3,000 years ago, a warning that is just as applicable today as it was then. In Hosea 4, verse 6, God talked about what happens to a nation that forgets him and forsakes him. He said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God... I also will forget your children. Ladies and gentlemen, God is no respecter of people or nations. Any nation 
that reverences God will be blessed by God. And any nation, including the United States, that rejects God will be rejected by God. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I close today with the reflections of a man who could hardly be labeled a conservative. When I was growing up here in Dallas in the 50s and 60s, the chief justice of the Supreme Court for much of that time was a man named Earl Warren. Many of you remember Chief Justice Earl Warren. In the South, he was vilified. He was thought to be a communist pinko liberal. People hated Earl Warren. As I look back as an adult now, I see the reason people in the South hated him in many cases. It was because he believed in the equality of the races. He was trying to get justice for people regardless of their race. But that wasn't always talked about. It was talked about how liberal he was. And yet, in 1954, Earl Warren gave this assessment of our nation's Christian heritage. He said, I believe no one can read the history of our country without realizing the good book and the spirit of the Savior have from the beginning been our guiding geniuses. Whether we look to the first charter of Virginia or to the charter of New England or to the charter of Massachusetts Bay or to the fundamental orders of Connecticut, the same object is present a Christian land governed by Christian principles. I believe the entire Bill of Rights came into being because of the knowledge our forefathers had of the Bible and their belief in it. Freedom of belief, of expression, of assembly, of petition, the dignity of the individual, the sanctity of the home, equal justice under the law, and the reservation of powers to the people. I like to believe that we are living today in the spirit of the Christian religion. I like also to believe that as long as we do so, no great harm can come to our country. The nation that reverences God will be blessed by God. The nation that rejects God will be rejected by God. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. May God be honored, and may our country prosper as we declare our allegiance to God and God alone. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, as I mentioned earlier in today's program, midnight is the deadline for giving your generous gift to the $500,000 matching challenge. As a result of this generous gift that was set aside by our ministry partners, we will use the total amount and anything that exceeds it on reaching more people with the hope of the gospel. Now, here's what that means to you today. Whatever amount you're able to give will be magnified to twice the size. That means your gift of $100 is matched until it becomes $200. A $500 gift becomes $1,000. A $5,000 gift would become $10,000. You set the amount. So please, take this occasion to leverage your gift to Pathway to Victory. 
as a creative means for saying thank you. I've written a brand new children's book for you and your family called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. As a father of two adult daughters and the grandfather to triplets, I've grown more committed than ever before in helping children understand the Bible. Kids are highly distracted these days. Even so, there's nothing more engaging to a child than sitting in a chair with someone they trust to hear the truth about God's Word, especially when it involves a book filled with pictures. My fully illustrated book, again, is called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids, and it's my gift to you when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. Please, before midnight, let us know that you are standing with Pathway to Victory. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, we'd like to say thanks by sending you the brand new illustrated children's book, Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. To make your request, call 866-999-2965, or even easier, simply go online to ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, you'll also receive the complete unedited CD and DVD teaching sets for our current series called The Parables, Jesus' Favorite Stories. Remember, your gift right now will be doubled in impact through our Gospel Advance Matching Challenge, but this opportunity expires at midnight. So request your copy of these resources by giving today. Call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. You could also send your donation by mail. Here's that mailing address. P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Make plans to join us again next time for the start of a new series called America and the Bible, right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.